Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, well, isn't yet at a record high. Although, you never know. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and I'm joined by the founder and managing director of strawman.com, Andrew Page. G'day, mate. Hello, sir. Uh, what, 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 what metric are we measuring our record high against here? Can I tell you, actually, speaking of which, we almost hit a record high number of downloads last month. Oh, cool. So as much as I say we're not, we, we've had one month that was a little bit higher and it might have just been a longer month, quite honestly. I'm not sure what the, how the stats work, how many episodes per month because of the way the kind of calendar rolls. But yeah, we are really, really close actually. So we're almost at a record high. We're not quite at the record high that other things might be at. We may mention those later in the podcast because, frankly, if we start down that path now, mate, we will not <laughs> get trouble. anywhere else. We're in massive, massive <laughs> trouble. Mate, um, just quietly too, I, I, I've nicknamed you Ram for Ram Page, Andrew Page, of course. Um, we did get some correspondence during the week that suggested that you should be Rant Page. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to change it just yet, but I just thought I'd share that, Appropriate. I'd share that with you. Love a good rant. Just quietly. You know, you know, either the better or the worst thing about that is no one says, can you please stop ranting? Like, yeah, Andrew's rants are great. Keep them going. I'm like, oh, don't say that. That's not good for anybody. But but there you go. Mate, other than ranting, what is strawman.com good for? <laughs> It's good. It's good for uh, honing your investment skills. It's good for getting no. new investment ideas. It's good for like it. testing your investment theses, and uh, and uh, we try and do that. And uh, so far, so good. Very good. You, you would um, suggest people go and visit strawman.com, would you? Yeah, please do. Um, we're close to new members at the moment, but you can still get uh, free access to restrict, restricted part of the site. And I think even though the information's a little bit delayed there, you'll find a lot of good quality content. And also, mm. you can muck around with a $100,000 play money portfolio, sort of test test your skills in the market uh, uh, without, without risking any real cash. So you might want to do that as well. <laughs> that can work. That can work. Very, very interesting. All right, uh, mate. Um, let's let's move on to the main area of the podcast. We've got. We're going to start. I was going to say we're going to start with the macro. We're not going to start with the macro because there's not much macro around. We thought we'd got lots of company stuff to talk about, which we're really looking forward to getting through. So while the macro is important, we do probably talk about it more than the investing merits would suggest. And so this is a nice chance to just simply not talk about it. We should say we're recording this at nine thirty on Thursday morning, and the unemployment numbers are out an hour and a half. So they may well be the big news by the time you listen to this podcast. We have no idea what they are. You, dear listener, know before we do, at least in kind of temporal terms, if you kind of think about it that way. Anyway, moving on. Mate, let's, um, let's get on to company-specific news because some really, really interesting stuff this week in a whole lot of different places. Mm. I'm going to start with Pushpay. Now, mate, Pushpay is a share that apparently you own or a company whose shares you own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, but I've looked at it a lot of times and I like the business. We're talking about it for a couple of reasons, but the major one is that yesterday morning, Wednesday, the 10th of November, Shares fell off the proverbial cliff, uh, down about 20% at one point. Now, Pushpay, you'll do a better job of this, but Pushpay provides software and services for the, do they call it the faith sector, I think they call it, or for, almost euphemistically, for churches, yeah. uh, for um, mega churches mostly, and mostly in the US, but the business has growing broad, more broadly than just that. Mate, um, the, <laughs> the, the, the two things you got to keep in your head at the same time, and this one you told me this morning is, first, they downgraded guidance by six percent mm-hmm. and shares fell 20 percent now brutal if i do my maths properly if they downgraded guidance by 45 percent they would have actually paid us to buy the shares. <laughs> i think if i if I, extra, if I extrapolate that nicely that that's what it, so i i'm of course being a little bit flippant and by the way i know you own shares and you're, you're poorer this morning than you were yesterday <laughs> yep. as are some of our listeners so i'm not making light of the losses in that sense but it is worth 
having that conversation, mate, we thought we'd just start there. Yeah. Because PushPay itself is a fascinating business. You own shares, so I want to hear about that. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe just start there. Maybe just tell us the story of the business. And then we'll get on to the market and, and what the market's telling us, um, the extent to which the market might be right or wrong. And maybe we'll talk about the the kind of context of those sort of falls and the way these things happen in the market, how investors should think about it. So let's let's do that. Let's okay. start with PushPay itself. I've given you a... Oh, I'll give the listener a rough thumbnail sketch, which is probably, hopefully, mostly right. But you own the business, you follow it much more closely. Tell me what PushPay is and what it does. No, you're exactly right. So they, they they have a couple of different software products. Traditionally, they had something that sort of facilitated giving. So the old days, you, you know, the collection plate would be passed around and, you know, it, it did what it did, but, but you know, it's... The organ would play softly, the plate gets passed from person to person. I've, I've been there, you know, yes, yeah. You know, so it's, it's 2021 and you could probably argue there's a better way and, and Pushpay did argue there was a better way. So they've got an <laughs> app that sort of facilitates that. Uh, so it's a payments app of sorts, but it's mm-hmm. but it's one that's very uh, uh, specific to that sector, and it's one that's since has bulked out its offering quite a bit. So now it's got mm-hmm. church management software, so it's like a, a an enterprise level software for these. Uh, well, let's call it what it is—a business. Um, mm-hmm. And also, they've got video streaming software, all of this kind of stuff, and it's a, it's a Kiwi business, and it's absolutely gone nuts. Like it's, it's really not that old, but the the business has grown like the clappers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, so even if you just go back to 2017, they're earning about 88 million dollars in revenue. In the last full year, they've reported 235 million dollars in revenue. So it's a lovely, right. very steep staircase there. What's interesting about the business? too, unlike a lot of growth companies, is they're actually profitable. Um, and not just a little bit profitable, very sort of profitable. They they run mm. on, you know, 20% net margins. The gross margin, they've actually scaled really nicely too. So the business, as it has grown, they've actually seen that their gross profit margin expand as well from 59% nice. even a few years ago to 69% at the moment. Lo- so I'm going to stop you there, mate. That's the operation, operational leverage we talk about, right? When you can get your profit to grow faster than your sales, yeah. uh, that's what you're looking for. And that's where, for some businesses, when you see sales growth, people say, how can it possibly be worth X? Or how can profits pro- yeah, reasonably go to Y? Mm. The answer is improving your margins by getting lots and lots of sales and growing your costs less quickly, which is operating leverage. In other words, it turns a dollar at the top line and more than a dollar, or well, 1% at the top line, I should say, you know, more than 1% at the bottom oh, line. A- Keep going. Absolutely. And this is why this is why people fall in love, myself included, with, with <laughs> software companies because they've got so yeah. much more potential to do that. So, yeah. again, going back to a more service-oriented company, if you're a lawyer or something like that, you can you can win a hell of a lot more work, but, mm-hmm. you know, you you... you, you You've got to hire more lawyers to do sort of do all of that. So as as your as your business yeah. grows, your costs tend to grow. Now that's true of all businesses, but in a very mm-hmm. well run, you know, and, and technology businesses are the best example. You can sell more and more and more and more without having to increase your 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 staff <laughs> base or your costs too much. Yeah. 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 Um, so when Microsoft sells a, another copy of Windows 11, you know they they're not having to put more costs on to do that. The marginal cost there, the gross margin, is for a lot of these companies mm-hmm. near enough to 100. percent and that means it just falls pretty much straight through to the bottom line. So pro- Pushpay, again, a good example of this. So in, the, in the, the results they just reported for the half year, their revenue was up 9%. Their net profit was up 40%. Um, right. Now, there's there's a bit of currency movement and stuff in, in that, but... Um, but you get a sense of the, the, the power of that. It's huge. It's, it's really phenomenal. And it's why these businesses mm. are so difficult to value too because you you see these really seemingly ridiculous price earnings ratios. 
and you think, well, you know, wow, PE of 100, that's that's up there, right? Um, yeah. By the way, push pay's not on that. It's forward PE is probably closer <laughs> to 35, which is another another thing right. to, to come back to. But you do see a lot of tech companies like that and people go, well, the market, long-term market average is closer to sort of 15, 16. Uh, how do you possibly justify that? And, you know, well, and the answer is, well, growth. Mm. And if, if mm. you can, and for a lot of these companies in the early stages, well, they might be doubling their profit every couple of years. It doesn't take long before it's, it really grows into that valuation. And, and mm. um, yeah, and, 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 and hence why I think a lot of people have particularly sort of more uh, older value-oriented investors, I think have missed the, a, a boat on a lot of these things because they've gotten too mm. hung up on valuation, not understanding the power, as you say, of this operating leverage, which when yeah. done right is, is phenomenal. By the way, let's just mention here that this is no secret. So any company that has any kind of potential for this will tout this and it doesn't always work out. There's a lot of examples of of tech companies where they have, yeah, impressively grown revenues really well, but they've probably had to do a lot of acquisitions and raised a lot of extra money, issued a lot of extra shares, brought on a lot of extra staff, ramped up all their marketing. You know, it's just sort of like, Mm. so it actually, it hasn't scaled as, as is promised or as is hoped. Um, I was talking before the show to you about Dubber, which is a really fascinating company, by the way. They do sort of SaaS-based uh, call management. So, you know, if you're in a call mm-hmm. center, all these things have to be recorded. They're, I mean, their revenues have gone parabolic, but they're losing more money today than they ever have before because as they've grown... <laughs> now, this again, you know, again, I don't. please don't write me any yeah. angry letters if you're a shareholder. Potentially, that still makes sense because they're... they're page P-A-G-E, <laughs> as I like to say. Well, this Go is... This, yeah, well, hey, look, you make money on the market by having a variant <laughs> perception, right? So, you, uh, uh, you, you know, I, I totally acknowledge that. But I'm, I'm using that as an example of at least yeah. to date. So, historically, we can speak factually. <laughs> that has been yep. the case. of very fast-growing revenues. We're widening losses. Push pay, come full circle has been mm. a business that as it has grown its top line very well um, mm. has managed to manage to grow its its profit even stronger um, yeah. so yeah I look it's a very it's a very nice company and yet and yet the market really you know, I, I read the announcement before the market opened yesterday thinking well okay they, they did downgrade their earnings a little bit so mm. the market probably won't like that it's usually the way it goes but I did not expect a, 20, a fifth of the value. Of, of, of this company evaporated mm. in the space of, of, a, of a few seconds. And this isn't, this isn't a $20 million yeah. micro cap. This is a $1.8 yeah, right. <laughs> billion dollar company. Yeah, so it, right, it was, it was right. interesting. I thought, hey, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's worth talking about for a whole lot of different reasons, mate, and there's so many different tangents we can take from this. Let's start with the, the, the movement in price. Mm-hmm. If, so, so the market expected X, and let's call it 100 and the company says, actually, well, the company itself actually probably said, hey, you should expect 100. Now they say, actually, it's going to be 94, right? So the 6% decline in guidance is what they've forecast for. Now, is that profit or sales? My assume it was profit. Sorry, in what? Sorry, which one? The, the 6% guidance reduction? That, that was, well, yeah, let's call it profit. It was EBITDA. Okay. That's fine, yeah. <laughs> Earnings before yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is its own problem. Let's call it 6%. So it was going to be 100. Now it's going to be 94, right? That 6% reduction. Mm-hmm. And the market... Is going to pay twenty percent less for that ninety four than it was going to pay for the hundred, mm. and that makes no logical sense at all. There is no world in which that in in, a, in a, as a single data point. Now it's never a single data point, so we'll get to that. Yep. But there is no there is no basis under which ninety four is worth twenty percent less than hundred. Yep. It just it just doesn't make any sense in in of itself. Mm. Two things that we should think about. And I'll get your thoughts on this, mate. 
The first is it would be worth 20% less if the future was going to be much worse and for a longer period of time and by a large enough quantum yeah. because of this new news. Yep. So the new news is <clears throat> guidance is down 6% because this business doesn't work. We're going to have lower margins. Things are eroding. Um, it could be crap. So, so looking forward, it's possible that's true. Can I just interrupt very also, quickly? Oh, no, oh, please, yeah, it, yeah. Not only that, it could fall 20% and still be more expensive than it was before. Yes, except the profit's only fallen six, so it can't be on the current year. No, 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 I'm just saying if there is if there is good reason to suspect yes, a material right, long-term right. degradation in the business. So yes, it's sort of like, correct, yes, correct. the share price has come down 20%, so it does seem cheaper, yes. and all else being even, it is. But if there yes. is good objective reason to feel as though the there is there is a there right, is something structurally yeah. wrong with the business, and yeah. this is this is what they call a value trap. Yeah, the share price mm -hmm. is lower, should be cheaper, but actually maybe well much more expensive. Maybe the market hasn't fully factored in mm -hmm. how how mm -hmm. bad it can be. And there's there's actually lots of examples of, of that. Yeah. Anyway, so I just wanted to make that point. Shares can go down and yet still be more expensive. Exactly. So let, let's so that that's that's step that's step one. Step two is. The fall can be one of two things. Assuming, assuming that's not true, assuming that 9,400 is not right, one of two things can also happen. Either, so at 20% fall, if we assume it's not justified, doesn't mean that the current price is wrong. No. Because if, if a share price falls 20%, either it's fallen too far, which we may say, and you might say because you own the shares, or we might actually say it was just stupidly expensive in the first place and this is the market realising its error. Mm. And so it's always important when, when something falls or rises... The human nature, human instinct, and this happens all the time. I've, I've never really made, help me out with this one. I've never been able to properly create a really good analogy and pithy description that kind of makes the point, right? But humanity assumes the past is real and proper and right, mm. and therefore the new must be the problem. Mm. So whenever, when a share price jumps 20% or falls 20%, we kind of assume that the past was right uh, and the future is wrong, or the, the present is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So you say, well, that's fallen too far. Well, that only fallen too far if the previous price was right. Because mm. if it's fallen to the right price, then yesterday's price was too high. Yeah. And the market is correcting accurately now. Mm. The other alternative as, is, is, as I said, that it was right then and now is wrong. Mm. But it's really, this is where investing is hard because you can't look at a 6% fallen profit, a 20% fallen share price and say, ah, the market's overreacting. Because maybe it's just getting to the right price place after being wrong in the past. Well, this or is maybe it's the wrong place after being right in the past or maybe both are wrong. And maybe it's always worth 97 and it's gone from 194 and it was too high then it's too low now. But you know, it, that's really what it's what's important that you know, we don't look at share price charts, we don't look at technical analysis, we don't try and draw parallels or <laughs> or, or extrapolations because to do that you have to assume the past can actually tell you something and has more accuracy than the present and the present is wrong. And it may well be in push pace case. It may well be in a lot of cases. But you can't just assume that as an investor. You've really got to do the valuation independently. Well, we've made it this far without a Buffett quote, so we should throw one in. Go on. Uh, oh, and go. and my, one of my favourite is <laughs> the, the market is there to serve. It's not there to inform. And I think right. this is where two, you know, almost everyone, and you know, those that don't have to work very hard to fight it, but it, we all fall victim <laughs> to that. It's like, oh, yeah. the market, the market is is right, and and it's yes, it's yes. yeah, potentially it is telling you something, but what it's telling you might be completely wrong. <laughs> um, Correct. And and this is why I just I know I'm sort of like a, a broken record with this, but I just think as a fundamental uh, skill as an investor is that you have to be someone who can come up with an independent view of value. 
It doesn't have yeah. to be hyper-specific. You don't need a 10-terabyte spreadsheet to do you, but you need <laughs> to be able to sort of say, with the market pretending it's not there, I'm a multi-trillionaire, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, what is a reasonable price to pay for this company? Yeah. And the only yeah. really rational basis to do that on is to look at its future <laughs> cash flows and, yeah. and basically say, if I bought this thing outright and I could never sell it again, I'm going to put so much money out and then over the years I'm going to get so much money back. And that calculus mm -hmm. has to be in such a way that the money that I get back, adjusted for risk, adjusted for inflation, adjusted for desired yeah. returns, needs to be attractive. Because it doesn't, yeah. you know, again, we could have a business that, you know, triples its profit every year for the next 10 years. But if, you know, if I pay mm -hmm. too much for that, if I, if I pay, uh, you know, $1,000 per share for this business and then right. in terms of what the business actually generates in its own free cash flow is 300 bucks over that period. Yeah. And then just yeah. say that after that is it just a terminal flat, flat sort of performance from there. <laughs> I mean, that's an awful investment, even though objectively the business has done incredibly well. So this is why you, and, and this is where the opportunity potentially lies in, in not just mm. the push pay, and I'll come back to that later, but any, any more broadly is that whenever you're buying a share, you are um, specifically saying the market is wrong. I mean, mm. by definition, right? It, it's like mm -hmm. this is this thing represents good value relative to, to what it's being offered at. Or, or, or opposite, if I'm selling a business, it's because I'm saying it's 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 too expensive. It's not reasonable. Mm. Um, otherwise, why would you buy or sell? You know, it, it kind of that's the fundamental thing. And if the market is always yeah, right, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, these the the efficient market hypothesis. Uh, if the market is always right, then then none of that opportunity exists and it's impossible to outperform the market. But we kind of know it's mm -hmm. not. We know it's hard. We know yeah. we know the minority of people can, can do it. But those but yes. but you can do it, right? Yes. So yes. so yes. I would I would I would just just to, on that point that you're making here is just like when something whether it doubles or whether it halves, the question mm -hmm. you don't go, Oh my gosh, I got it wrong was well, no, maybe right. you did. Maybe you did. And by the way, you've got to take that that possibility very seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you will be wrong more often than not. Or not more often than not, but a lot of the You'll time. You'll be wrong oh, so, so by definition. It's not even a possibility, right? It's yeah. like it, it's probable that two, three, four, five times out of ten you'll actually be wrong. Oh, yeah. And the, the harder you swing, the more likely you are to be wrong. And hopefully the harder you swing, the better the returns when you can act. Yep. But, you know, any investor who says, oh, I, I could be wrong, but of course I won't be. It's like, no, 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 you will actually be wrong. Yes. A, a lot, right? Hopefully less often than you're right, but a lot anyway. Well, it's, it's, it's um, you name me one single person in the history of the universe who's got 100% mm -hmm. strike rate. No one does. It's a, yeah, it's a probabilistic it. game. It's, it's fine, but, yeah. but, that, but I'll, just, I'll just come back to that original point. Is, yes, please. Is please, please. that you, you <laughs> what you need to do is you need to compare that market price next to what you think is reasonable. And maybe new information in the yeah. case of like with Pushpay. We had new information yesterday. Mm -hmm. You've got to take that on. You've got to be sensible, rational, objective with that and say, does this change what I thought the business was worth yesterday? And maybe it does. Oh. Maybe maybe you actually – in fact, this is where I'm kind of sit with Pushpay. I think it's probably worth a bit less than I'd previously forecast. Mm -hmm. But then I have to take that assessment and compare that against what I'm able to do on the market. Am I? Am, is the market right, now right, giving right. me an opportunity to buy at a price that is below what I think it's fair? Um, or is it perhaps come back to something that is sensible and the market's absolutely right? You won't know. You won't know unless you do the work, unfortunately. And looking at a chart and looking at what happened will not tell you that. It's also important to know why you think you're right and they're wrong because mm. you're, I mean, this is, it's, market outperformance is one of the hardest things to actually explain well, right? Because we say, as you say, you can't beat the market unless you disagree with the market by definition, mm. By very definition, right? Yep. The market's going to be wrong about the stock you buy. Yep. Because if the market's already right, there's no value there. No. 
So you're looking for the areas where the market's wrong. Yep. But the market's right most of the time. And the market's got a lot of smart people and, who know a lot of stuff. And so you look at a company and go, okay, well, the market's likely to be right. <laughs> and there are a lot of smart people doing this stuff. If I think I'm better, firstly, it takes a truckload of arrogance, right? And <laughs> self-confidence for us to gonna go, all those smart, highly paid people in big glass office towers in the middle of Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, they are all knuckleheads. They've got it wrong. I've got it right. Ha ha, suckers, I'm gonna win this one. But we do it and we do it every day. But, but it's almost it's really it's useful to keep that in mind, yeah. right? Almost by definition, because when you go, obviously the market's wrong because it's like, well, start by assuming the market's right. Yes. And then see if you can find a way they might be wrong. And with a reasonable degree of probability too, right? Mm. Because, again, they're not stupid people. There are ways we think, you think, and you and I invest kind of similarly, but in different parts of the market. But, um, you know, there are ways to put the odds in our favour. Mm. But it's far from, you know, it's far from certain, it's far from perfect. Yeah. And so to do that well, you've got to find something the market either doesn't know, doesn't believe, a time frame the market doesn't follow, mm. some sort of insight the market's not necessarily counting on, uh, and that's hard, right? So to your point, mate, the, the first the first the first point probably should be the market's probably right. Yeah. But let's see if I can let's see if I can find where they might be. Yeah, right. Take take rather take than the bear case. I'm obviously right. They're idiots. Understand the bear case and understand yes. it really well and take it seriously. Don't necessarily mm-hmm. agree with it because you know may, maybe the market, as we say, is wrong. But don't. Yeah. Too too many people are, are too. Uh, oh, the market's crazy. It's always well. Yeah, mm-hmm. Not always. In fact, as you say, probably more often than not, it is. It is closer to right than being wrong. Mm. And, and and just to assume that you've got some special insight that no one else has seen, maybe it's true, yeah. but it's, it, it is, as you say, an arrogant position uh, and it's a position that's necessary, but you just have to be sure about y- yourself and you also, you just have to have a huge amount of humility. You need a preparedness to change your mind. The world is way too complex for you not to change your mind on a regular basis. And those mm. that don't, you know, it's always seen as a, in politicians get accused of flip-flopping. I think it's a wonderful sign people <laughs> yeah. who change their Mind. Yeah, same. And somebody yes. doesn't change yes. their mind a lot. I think mm-hmm. it's just, uh, might be a Steve Jobs quote, you know, um, mm-hmm. or Jeff Bezos. You know, those who don't change their mind often vastly underestimate the complexity mm-hmm. of the world. You know, you're not yeah. you're not that insightful. You're not that intelligent <laughs> to have factored in this multitude of factors mm-hmm. that are driving things. And and sometimes, yeah. and not only that, as John Maynard Keynes famously said, is when mm-hmm. the facts change, mm-hmm. I change my mind. So you might actually have a yeah. very good objective interpretation on reality and then mm, new mm. stuff happens that, that that changes that and that's that's mm. totally cool change your mind if you have to do it but just yeah. but just the hard part is being honest and objective with yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. the really hard part. That's right. Because that's right. because it's called the endowment effect, right? Which we've talked about before. Once with a lot of good yep. studies that show this. Once you own something, mm-hmm. it's much harder to be objective about it, mm-hmm. and and that's the risk here. So I've I've got shares in this company. It's fallen. I am to preserve my ego. My brain is going to do all kinds of mental gymnastics totally. to 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 say no no no. I'm right. You're you're right. It, it, the the, the, the yep. market is wrong. Um, yep. and, and that's dangerous. Mate, I want to talk about the Dubber example you used before mm-hmm. because you mentioned to me before we, before we started, you know, Dubber's a great company, doing good things, trying to grow and trying to be a, a wonderful business. It's trying to get 30 times sales uh, and flying. The losses are getting bigger. Uh, push pay, <laughs> profits are growing and the market's only, I'll say only in air quotes because it's still a really big number, only paying a P of 35 times. Mm. And you and I kind of joked before we recorded that it's actually easier sometimes to be a loss-making company yes. because no one has to then yes. value you on a PE basis. Yes. And I, 
I, I'm not going to say every company does this. I'm not even going to say the market always does this or even often, or I think it's often, but not, not necessarily even, even most of the time. The transition from loss-making hypergrowth to mature, profitable business mm. can be a tough one share price-wise and for the investors in those companies for exactly those reasons. Yep. If Pushpay was making a loss right now, I don't know what it would be valued at. It may be a whole lot less, maybe a whole lot more. But at one point, I don't know if Pushpay was ever unprofitable. It probably was. Oh, yeah, it was early on, yeah. And I imagine it was it was at a higher multiple of sales than it is now. Yes. And and there's a whole lot of stuff going on there that to unpack, mate. We don't we won't spend excuse me, we won't spend too long on this, but but worth just kind of t- touching on it because it is it is absolutely right that a super young, super high growth company loss making could be worth more as a multiple of sales than an older one because there's simply more potential upside. Yeah. And the type of investor in those businesses are looking for that upside. They're looking for the moonshots, right? And so it's one of those, if Dubber could possibly be X, then I will pay Y because it might have a billion dollar valuation. And so hope springs eternal and you do the mental maths and you go, oh my God, this could be amazing. Mm. You look at push pay and kind of go, well, it's already a certain size and it's already profitable and it's nicely profitable, but I guess the moon's not the destination anymore. It's somewhere short of that. And so I think it can grow meaningfully but I'm not going to pay any price. And so 35 times earnings is what I'm prepared to pay. Mm. And then someone looks at Harvey Norman, I own shares by the way, and says, this thing's a dog, I'm paying nine times earnings. Mm. It's never going to grow, it's probably going to die. Mm. And that's kind of the the very loose word picture of the continuum that, that companies exist on on the ASX, mm. right? Yep. And going from... Dubber to Harvey Norman in some sort of, you know, let's, let's assume that's the life cycle or the, or the journey. I, I don't know if Harvey Norman ever was a loss-making company. I assume it probably was early on too. But, you know, if, if, if I mean, and, and back in the day in the 70s, no one paid, you know, 30 times sales for any company because it just wasn't part of the investing lexicon. But I could imagine if someone got excited about this category killer, new business model, Harvey Norman business back in the day, it might've got to the current share price much quicker because investors had a whole lot of hope and, you know, could imagine a time when there were how many Harvey Norman stores around the country or JB Hi-Fi, same kind of story, mm-hmm. right? Three stores, oh my God, this thing could be amazing. Look at the growth. If I have a new store, sales triple, this is going to be fantastic. So there is a, there is a journey and, and rightly so, there is absolutely sense and there is process in the way investors think differently about these companies based on when the future comes into starker relief mm. and we know how likely they are to hit the moon, things change. But it's also true that, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not easy to look at, to be a push-pay shareholder, look at Dubber's valuation and go, but guys, this thing's making money and it's making more money and the profit is growing and the company is growing and it's got a thing and, 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 mm. and you bastards pushing Dubber up while I'm making a loss on push-pay. Mm. That's got to hurt, right? And I, so on one level, I, I guess I'm, I, I'm saying that's the, that's the picture. And there are inefficiencies and errors in all three of those businesses for all all sorts of different reasons. And maybe I'm just saying, expect that as, a, as an investor, right? Expect the journey is going to be bumpy for all those reasons. Because the other thing is, I'm going to speculate, the investing base is really, really, really different for those three businesses. Yeah. The people who own Dubber are different to the people who own Pushpay. The people who own Pushpay are different, people, different to the people who own Harvey Norman. And to some degree, as Pushpay goes from Dubber to Pushpay, without kind of twisting, twisting ourselves up too much, a whole lot of investors leave. Mm. And so part of the part of the revaluation journey, part of the difference in response is you're dealing with a whole different shareholder base who simply expect different things, are more and less tolerant of different things, see companies differently. And maybe, you know, maybe it's just the natural journey of things that you have to be at you're a different proposition for different shareholder bases who respond differently to different outcomes. Yep, I agree. I, I think you need to you need to be very clear in the type there's this thing called the share market. 
and we're all buying mm-hmm. shares. I've heard of that. Um, yes. But there's very, very different hats to wear depending on the company you're investing on. Uh, so mm. we can sort of talk about what Dubba has done. Well, its share price is up 7x since the start of 2017. Mm. Harvey Norman's gone from 450 to 511 and everywhere in between, obviously. It's a bit, for both cases, they've moved around a lot. And, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it's kind of like on one hand you can sort of say, well, this is – a, a loss-making company whose losses are widening, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I've done incredibly well out of that. Now, will you, you know, it, it, I think there's a fair amount of time under the bridge there to sort of say anyone who was buying back then has probably been, well, increasingly validated in that view. That one that you could very be very critical of if you're looking at it through the lens of, uh, of the type of style that you would invest in a large, more established, mature, blue-chip kind of company. So you just mm. you just it, it's horses for courses, um, and and the type of the type of way that you look at company A often won't be the mm. won't be a sensible mm. way of looking mm. at company B. So you've really got to know thyself and know what you're doing, and and yeah. there's just there's just not a cookie cutter one size approach to investing. Um, mm. You know, mm. so as you say, you and I have some differences. You know, Doc, we know has very different styles, and mm. everyone can make money, mm. right? But Yep, but yep. know, know what it is that you're doing, <laughs> know your strategy, know thyself because it, it, yep. it really does matter. And, and you, can't apply, you can't apply the way that you would invest in, in a top ASX top 20 company to a $20 million microcap company that's pre-profit. That just, exactly. It just doesn't make sense. Neither, yep. neither one is yep. necessarily wrong or better or worse, but you just have to, you mm-hmm. just have to know what you're doing because, because it's, it's different. I like that, mate. I like that. I wonder... Um, if you, as you think about the journey, the, the push pay journey now, where it is in that, on that on that kind of arbitrary continuum I just described, where are is, is, a, is a company going to be treated fairly in all three cases? I mean, do, do look at pay, Dubber and look at push pay and say that's not fair as a push pay shareholder. But isn't that kind of? I mean, at some point, push pay was probably valued somewhat similarly. Is it? Is it? Is the market wrong? Are any of those investor groups wrong? Is that just kind of it sucks, but that's reality and, and not even necessarily unfair because that's just the, the that is the part of the life cycle the company's in. How do you think about those three groups and when push pay is now this morning maybe a little bit jaundiced, maybe a little bit uh, annoyed. So maybe I'm not sure how rationally you want you want to feel about this right now, but you know, is the market wrong in any of those cases or right in all three cases or wrong in all three cases? All right. Um, yeah. can, can you, you know, is, is, is it, is it, I won't say unfair because unfair is a value judgment. Is it wrong? A, a, you know, in, as a matter of fact, rationality, logic for those three things to be different. No, no, no. It is what it is. I, I don't lose any sleep over it. And I don't because, because I've spent a lot of time getting to know this business. And I know it very well. Right. And I've owned it since 2017. And don't, don't feel bad for me. Even after yesterday's fall, it's a 50% <laughs> compound annual return over the last four years. And over that humble and, break hashtag humble I, break. I, I had to put it in, um, nah. but but I'd also say that this this is not unusual. I mean, over that journey, I mean, at the start of 2018, it's had a it's had a share split. So, but on a, on a split yeah. adjusted basis, in 2018, mm. it went from a buck down to 75 cents, and then it sort of hung there for another year or so. You know, then it flew up to a dollar twenty three, and then fell back all the way to seven. I mean, this is normal. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like you know, it's oh, you don't wake up and go, woohoo, it's great that my shares are down twenty <laughs> percent. But it's yeah. also it's not my first rodeo. This this has happened yeah. many, many, many times before. <laughs> and and this is this is uh, you know, mm-hmm. value will out if you've if you're close to being right and you're patient yeah. enough, um, it, yeah. you you will be validated because there is there is a financial gravity in there that the market can do silly things, but it's not. 
mm-hmm. it, it will come back to something pretty sensible eventually. And so, so the question here is, is um, with this one is, has any, so for me, it's kind of like, I don't like that they're now saying they, they're probably going to earn a little bit less. They also said, oh, geez, we're having yeah. a lot of trouble, like a lot of companies, we're having a lot of trouble attracting good tech talent. Um, right. And that means that um, we're going to have to pay more for them. So that means that the costs are going to go up. Um, they're, they're investing a ton of money to, to move into the Catholic segment. Which is well, well, a different niche that they've sort of operated, very different to the evangelical space, and mm. you know, probably a good opportunity that's there, but it, it might be a complete waste of time. Maybe they're throwing millions and millions of dollars at something they just won't get the traction that they've enjoyed right. elsewhere. Right. So there are all right. these things that sort of roll in. You go, yeah, yep, okay, that's that is that is something to to uh, mm-hmm. that re- that warrants a revision of sorts. But then having done that, I kind of look at it and go, mm, I don't, I still see this as a business in five years' time that's, that's earning a lot more than it is today. And I've never factored in extrapolating 40% compound net, uh, net profit growth over that period. In fact, the P of 35, they, they really only sort of, they can get anywhere sort of like mid-team kind of growth over a sustained period of time. They're ridiculously cheap. So it's a, it's a low bar for me. It's it's not unusual for me for, for this kind of thing to happen. This is the story. You pick, pick any... Wonderful success story, zero, mm. afterpay. They're all as volatile as anything. The drawdowns along the way are massive. So the, mm-hmm. those, those that benefit from those long-term growth stories um, haven't done it because they've traded in and out and avoided every t- a tick down. <laughs> they've, just, mm. they've just rolled with it. And, <laughs> and so I don't want – and by the way, can I just really encourage anyone who's listening, don't run out and buy this stock because it, it, for whatever thing I've said, you, you can, mm-hmm. as I'm very fond of saying, you can borrow an idea, you can't borrow the conviction. Even if I'm – well, there's every chance in the world I'm wrong. And even if I'm right, doesn't mean it can't hard from here, right? And, and mm-hmm. if, if you don't, don't really know much about the business other than what we've talked about here, you're, you're not, you're not going to have that strength of conviction to sort of hold through it all. Um, so, so yeah, take all of that in mind. But what we did think it was interesting to talk about just by way of example where yep. you do see these things that, that look a bit crazy, how you think through all of that. And, again, just to summarise it all is just like, well, again, understand the business, have an objective, independent view of value and then make your judgement on the market price relative to that, in context to that. That's, that is what you need to do. And you need to, you need to look be prepared to look silly, look wrong for very long periods of time. <laughs> and in many cases, in a high number of, statistically high number of cases, to actually be wrong, <laughs> to be, absolutely be wrong. And, and then to recognise it when you are and, 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 and be able to sort of, you know, um, not worry too much about your ego and <laughs> how it looks and, and just walk away. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot we could sort of t- tick into there. But I, thought, I did think Pushray was an interesting case study of, of that phenomenon. It was, mate, and I'm glad you raised it. I'll just add one more thing. When I think about that continuum, I've kind of painted in words. The other thing is you should expect your strike rate to be uh, lower on the left-hand side and higher as you get the companies get older and more mature. You should also expect the variability of returns to be similar. Yeah. So, you know, you, you will you will get a two or three or four out of ten strike rate on the moonshots. Hopefully that, that well and surely pays for the losers because they're probably going to be big losers. In the middle, you're hopefully going to get maybe five-ish of them right. The average return should be pretty good. And on the end, uh, you, better be, you better be right eight or nine times because uh, Harvey Norman's not going to grow at 45% anytime soon. So if you're going to buy those shares, yeah. you, you know, you're not going to make it back on the average. If, if Harvey Norman you know, goes badly, you're not going to have one of those other mature companies in that space. Woolies isn't going to triple overnight to make up for your Harvey Norman losses, right? It's yeah. not going to happen. So yeah. um, just, just think about your 
Think about your expectations, your strike rate, your risk tolerance, how you're going to feel about losers, how you're going to feel about big losers um, as you think about where you belong as an investor on that continuum. It's a useful uh, picture. I didn't draw it for that intent, but it, it, also, it, it's, it probably is. Man, there's probably a, a diagram a smarter person than me can do and a, a more talented person than me can draw, which kind of you know, takes you on that journey from, from, you know, from one end to the other and what to expect from different sorts of businesses and, and how you should think about a portfolio full of those companies. Yep, 100%. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Let's move on, mate, to... Uh, I'm going to have a... Speaking of you being rant page, I'm going I'm to do a, a slight rant. Um, everyone's favourite customer service company is Telstra, of course. I own shares in this company, which makes me even sadder. <laughs> I own them for a whole lot of compliment. One, one reasonably simple reason, actually, which is one of our services that I run still holds those shares in an income portfolio. And while I could ask for dispensation to sell them because I don't think they're going to be market beating, um, I just feel better about not doing it. So I haven't asked for that dispensation from the company, uh, from our compliance team in, in the US. So uh, I own a small number of Telstra shares, but the internet died at my place on Sunday afternoon. Uh, lightning flash. <laughs> it was me, it was me last week. It was you this week. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was. Lightning, lightning, lightning flash, thunder strike, a little a ominous click from the modem. And I look over at it and the light's on. A little off. puff of smoke. Coming up. Well, no, no smoke, yeah. friendly enough, but 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 yeah, symbolically, if nothing else, I'm like, oh, man. Now, the good news is it's, it is one of those Tulsa smart modems with the 4G fallback. So it went back to the 4G thing, which is actually reasonably good most of the time. It's more variable, of course, based on who else is on the network and stuff. But, you know, that, that was that was okay. The little green light that says, hey, the NBN's connected went blue for, hey, you're on 4G. And so I think, oh, and I said, well, I was looking, I said, well, there goes my next two hours, <laughs> uh, which was which was prescient because about two hours worth of time uh, on social media and <sighs> on the uh, live chat, uh, trying to get through this process. So look, I like Telstra's first step, which is the, the self-diagnosis thing, right? You log on, they say, how are we going to perform some tests on your line? Which I think is great. If they can solve some problems without worrying me, without worrying their call center staff, then fantastic. Because someone's going to have to do it on the phone if I call them anyway. So they do that yeah. and it says, um, we couldn't fix a problem. We're going to catch you to our chat team. Like, Oh man, I know how this goes. So I get on the, I get on. This, this is a point to this, by the way. It's not just me ranting. I get on the, the the chat and backwards and forwards while that person deals with four other people. Poor bastards. It must be. It must suck as a job. I say, hey, got a problem. Uh, here's what happened. Uh, by the way, I can smell a, a reasonably not not super strong, but strong enough smell of burnt electronics. Right, coming out of the top of the modem. Uh, I think the modem's cooked. Uh, the blue light's on. It happened just after a thunder strike. Can you send me a new modem? No, no, we can't do that. Okay. Um, we have to send the NBN technician out to check your line first. I said, okay, but the internet, the, the modem smells. Uh, it, it happened just after a thunderstrike. Uh, maybe it's the NBN, sure, but I think it's the modem. Mm. Can you send me a new modem? No, we can't do that. Okay, so uh, there, ends the, there ends the call. Uh, the person actually says to me, somewhat testily, I think, uh, Scott, I, I really would suggest you accept the appointment for the NBN technician so we can get them out there because I think what's going to happen was effectively the time. I was like, okay, fine. Send the tech out. The poor bastard comes out Tuesday morning, so this is a day and a half, two days later, which is actually pretty good, by the way. NBN turnaround time, 48 hours, really impressive. He uh, plugs his little machine to the wall and goes, oh, yeah, it's the modem. <laughs> <laughs> I say, cool, thanks, mate. He goes, he's done his job. He's off to his next call. So we're back to Telstra. I'm like, oh, by the man. way, he's, so, he's been paid, right? And, oh, and you as a shareholder yeah. have, have paid for something. So it's kind of like, oh, man, like you've, you've wasted... Your, my time and your and our money, you know. Yeah. For what's probably a $150 modem, which, I, look, you can't send it to everybody, but if someone says, look, it smells of smoke, it was after a lightning strike, uh, you know, take your odds, mm. but I'm pretty sure the modem's cooked. Mm. Anyway, 
So finally, they, they say, yep. So, uh, and again, Telstra social media team is actually really, really good. If you have any, here's a tip. If you have any problems with Telstra, jump on social media, tag them. They will, they will come to your aid because they want to help, right? Um, so anyway, social media team, uh, the great news was, so I then, I then posted on Twitter, said, hey, so surprise, surprise, it was no item after all. Telstra going to send me a new one, apparently. It could take five to 10 business days. Oof. I'm like, oh, jeez. So we're talking, yeah, one to two weeks. Anyway, the, the Telstra look great. Come back to me and say, hey, Scott, we've, uh, we, we'll, we'll direct message you. So they do. And here's, this is really cool. So Tuesday lunchtime-ish, I say, hey, got a problem. Uh, turns out it's a modem. They, the, the social media team get me the tracking number for the courier and say, look, it could take five to 10 days, but we'll try and get there as quickly as we can. It arrived the next morning. Yeah, great. Which is really cool. So I plugged it in yesterday morning, nine o'clock. Again, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, and the internet's working, mm. and it's great. I did actually <laughs> did plug the plug in the wrong spot first off. I thought, oh, bloody modem's broken again. Then I realized it was actually my fault. So <laughs> that's what uh, they, the, yeah, I think the tech people call that an ID ten T error. Uh huh. Or uh, or the or the, Pebcac. Have you heard that one? No, I haven't. What's that one? Pro- problem exists between chair and keyboard. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> Explain ID ten for me. If you if you write ID ten T out, it spells idiot. Um, yes, I didn't worry <laughs> that too. <laughs> So anyway, uh, that was kind of fun. So I fixed that up, and that was all. I didn't call them. It wasn't. No, it wasn't their drama. So look, here's here's why I wanted to here's why I wanted to share this story. The when you're thinking about as an investor, and look, I don't you know, I don't care whether you own Telstra shares or not. I, I said I own them because I we have them in income portfolio. I don't they'll beat the market. So I'm not just anyone go and buy them. Even though I own them, any business, two things as an in, as a business per, if you're a business person and you're or you're evaluating a business, I have increasingly become of the view. It's not new. But think about the think about how efficient the health systems were and the quarantine systems were in our country in January 2020. Mm-hmm. And think about how much redundancy we'd wish we'd built into the system when it came to February mm. 2020. Mm. Whether it's quarantine, whether it's masks, whether it's whatever. We have a great health system, by the way. But someone somewhere or everyone everywhere for years and years and years in government said, can we shave some costs in health, do you reckon? What if you had a few less beds? What if you had a bit less of this? What, don't, let's not waste this, air quotes, white elephant facility over here that's not being used because that's a waste of money. Turns out if we'd had these white elephant quarantine systems that we actually used to have that we sold off because we wanted to be more efficient, well, things would have gone a lot better. If you think about Telstra and you think about the efficiency of an uh, probably offshore, but in any case, a call centre, whose job it is to go through the motions, keep costs down, don't empower the staff because that, you know, skilled, educated, empowered staff costs money. Um, Think about Telstra. The brand is a marketing expense. The social media team, a marketing expense. They are trying to burnish the quality of the brand. Their sales team is a sales expense. These things generate revenue, right? The tech team are great people who are just super nerdy and love the hell out of what they're doing. They're going to do a great job. What's a contact center? It's a cost center for a business. So what's the what's the what's the uh, temptation? Is to go, look, we want to grow sales. So start the marketing. Here's some money. Go and advertise. Go and sponsor some stuff. Go and be really good guys on social media. Go and, go and build the brand for us. Uh, tech, do your thing. We'll keep the cost down as low as we can. But we know we've got to have techies there to go. You know, see you within a certain number of days or hours. So we'll we'll, we'll resource that. Call center. We can we can shave some costs, can't we? We can get rid of some people. We can make the waiting times a bit longer. We can offshore it. We can make it all process and systems driven rather than give people accountability and responsibility and let them solve the customers' problems. Because you know we're a big organisation. Let's be more efficient. And I reckon, mate, I have a really strong conviction. If you compare that against a business like Amazon, now I own shares in Amazon as well. I've told the story before. I think even on the podcast years ago, I was sent a book. I ordered a book. 
And it arrived, but it wasn't the book I'd, I bought at all. It was, I don't know, it was knitting or something, whatever it was. And I looked at the label. What had happened? The address label had the person's address label and then mine had just been printed over the top of it accidentally. You know, one of those label printer machines mm. probably just got caught. They sent me the book. And I said, hey, guys, got the wrong book. I uh, also didn't get the one I'm looking for. I said, really sorry. We'll send you the book. Uh, I said, well, okay, do you, want, do you need me to send this one back? I said, no, no, donate it to a library if you want. Or keep it. What have you want mm. to do? I was like, you know what? In, in someone's book, that's a, they, they lost money on that sale. They had to freight the thing twice. They sent me the wrong book. They had to send me the final book. They, they cost them money. But I'm still telling the story years later, right? Think about Costco, the big American giant company. It's, it's mocked as a listed co-op by analysts in the US because they'll say, oh, you can make so much more money if you just put prices up and cut costs and did this and did that and did the other. Because that's, you know, they're, they're all about efficiency, right? Couldn't we, couldn't we squeeze an extra couple of margin points out of this thing? You probably could. They, they <laughs> very nicely, Costco say, yeah, thanks guys, no. Mm. We're not, that's not our business model. Our business model is keep costs as low as we can to look after our suppliers, look after our customers and earn the trust, the support, the loyalty, the repeat business of our customers. Now, Costco, by the way, shares are up three and a half fold in the last five years by doing a very simple thing really, really, really well and resisting the siren song of, can we screw our supplies a bit harder? Can we put prices up a bit more? Could we maybe, you know, save a bit on rent? Could we, you know, have a few less less staff? And so when you get a business model that works and is repeatable, it's natural the bean counters want to try and save money. Mm. But I have to say to you, and I, I, from my own investing, find businesses who love their customers mm. and who will eschew the short-term profit for the long-term value creation. It's really easy to say and it's really easy to think, but if you look at Telstra, if they double the cost of their call centers tomorrow, it would hit the profit line, absolutely, and the analysts would go nuts and the share price would fall. I'll tell you what though, they're gonna have a much bigger and better business if they did that, because compare this with Aussie Broadband. Aussie Broadband, so every time I tweet about Telstra's customer service failures, I have six or 10 people who tweet to me and say, dude, go to Aussie Broadband, they are spectacularly good. Mm. Not." Maybe you could try them. Maybe I'm with them and they've been okay. I haven't had any problems yet. But like, you got to try this. This is amazing. This is wonderful. Try Aussie Broadband. Mm. They, resale, they resale the exact same thing as Telstra. It's a white label NBN. There is zero product difference by definition. Mm. So what's the difference? People like the company. They love the customer service. They feel valued. The, the customer service team actually look after them, make sure they're looked after and get a great result. Even one guy said, yeah, I've been having problems for a month. It took four calls, but Aussie Broadband looked after me and they made sure it got fixed. Not bloody Aussie Broadband, they couldn't fix it for a month, but I felt so loved and looked after by these people that I'm telling you, even after my problems, you should use them too. Mm. And that is just a really, really, really important insight to my view. There are, you know, if you buy a gas pipeline company, customer service genuinely doesn't matter and fair enough. But if you're, if you're buying a company that deals with the public, yes, you can go with the one with the higher margins, you can go with the one who's cutting costs, you can go with the one who's the most efficient or you can go with the one the customers love. And I would tell you, I reckon eight times out of 10, mate, the one that loves their customers most is the one that's going to win. So there's my little investing takeaway with a, with a lesson, with a story, is if you have the chance, I would happily buy a business with lower margins, even lower profit growth, but one whose customers love them because that is going to pay itself back in spades in years to come. I'll tell you a tangentially related story. A friend was telling me just yesterday, and this is, this is going to be outside of a lot of off a lot of people's radar, but the, the, do you know who the sixth biggest YouTuber <laughs> in the world is? Mate, I don't know the sixth biggest anything, <laughs> but, I li- but I like the fact you asked the questions if I possibly might know. The sixth biggest YouTuber in the world, I'm going to say is Justin Bieber. It's No, Justin Bieber's got nothing okay. on this guy. This guy's called okay. Mr. Beast. 
and he's got no particular, you know, he's he, he, interesting he doesn't really have a great camera presence or he's not particularly natural right. as, a, as a speaker or anything. But this, when I, when, and, and it's easy to sort of laugh at this kind of stuff, but the, the, the top ranked YouTubers make millions, right? They're extremely, right. extremely valuable in, in, in what they do. And they might mm. be making videos that all of us think you, know, you just want to hit your head against a mm. wall, but they've got, they've got <laughs> tens of millions of subscribers, right? There's huge yeah, businesses. Right. What's interesting about yep. Mr. Beast is, is that every. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. I, I, I'm curious. What is interesting about Mr. It's, Beast, it's, Andrew? Look it up. It's fascinating. So, what, what every okay, yeah. cent that he has made, he has reinvested into his videos. So, he's now making videos where he'll give away a Ferrari, he'll give away a house, oh, wow. he'll get a custom house made out of ice. <laughs> you know, someone will carve it out. Out. He'll get this okay. team. He'll get. He'll get. Okay. He'll get a set built entirely for a YouTube video, right? <laughs> so he will make. He will literally spend. Right. I think one of the examples where he spent six million dollars on making a, a, a half-hour video um, for YouTube, right? <laughs> now he can be. That's that's money out of his pocket, right? This is all. This right, is all the right, ad right. revenues that are flowing to him, and all the other things gets mm-hmm. through Patreon and all these other kind. He can take yep. that. But yep. what he does, he takes that and he invests it back and he makes these more, these yeah. crazier and crazier and crazier videos. Just like <laughs> giving, giving, yep. going down the street and giving some poor homeless man $20,000, <laughs> you know? It's like, whoa, right, it's, right, it's, right. it's just captivating. And it's a really good example of, <laughs> now you can, a lot of us would look at that and go, okay, that's really cool what you're doing, but like literally mm-hmm, you're giving mm-hmm. everything back away. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, but he's now the sixth highest ranked YouTuber in the world. <laughs> and even if he stopped today, the residual income from mm. that trailing, just as people mm. continue to watch the videos, he'll make squillions of dollars. But he's gotten to where he has gotten today by thinking yeah. long-term and absolutely not optimizing for profit yeah. here and now. Yeah, right. So I know that's a tangential story, but I just, no, it's, yeah, I yeah, heard yeah, it yeah. yesterday and it's just fascinating. And, and I, I think, yeah, I think the, the other thing I would say in regard to Telstra is that I, mm. I think it, there are some situations where brand um, is less important and there's there's a huge friction in terms of changing. So it really isn't that hard to change telcos, but it's just a pain in the ass and none of us do it. Same yeah. reason. And I think that's part of the problem there. It's just like they, they can actually uh, cut a whole mm-hmm. bunch of costs because at the end of the day, they're still the largest right. telco out there because no one's right. bothered to change. It's like no one Except no one bothers I, to change I, banks to get a better interest rate. No one bothers to get a better credit card. No one bothers to do all of this other kind of stuff mm. because there's there is that sort of what no rational reason, but a, a huge amount of um, uh, inertia and, and stickiness to to that. So they can kind of do it and get away with it. So and yet though, and yet they are losing market share every day to people like Aussie Broadband. Yeah, that's that's true. And yeah, so I yeah. think I think that's my, I think you're you're absolutely right in the short term. That's almost my point, right? Is if you're if you're running Telstra, I don't know about Andy Penn, but you know people below him or someone below him say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna keep the market up. We've got to find some cost savings here because revenue growth's not happening. Let's cut some costs, and we can probably cut costs for a few years, maybe even a decade, right? For exactly the reason you're saying, who's gonna leave tomorrow? Yeah. Probably no one. Yeah. I'm I'm tethered to Telstra by the thinnest of of wires because um, the 4G backup is worth it to me because our MBN in the past has been rubbish. Mm. And we've had problem water in the lines up on the street. And so having that 4G backup is peace of mind for me for work. Um, frankly, for my young boat watching Netflix, because no one wants him you know, to be uh, internet free for too long. Otherwise, that goes badly. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it, it, that's, that's the peace of mind bit. If, if Aussie Broadband had a 4G backup modem tomorrow, I would be there. Mm. And so, you know, I'm one of those people who, I've been a Telstra customer, mate. I've been a Telstra customer for 
I'm going to say my whole entire adult life as a single. I never use a different internet provider other than, by the way, OneTel. Remember OneTel yeah, back in the day? Uh, OneNet was their, was their internet. So I used them for a bit, a bit of time. I had a OneNet email address uh, before they went broke, um, famously with James Packer and Lachlan Murdoch's money. Um, but ever since, I've been like, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I, and I like brands, right? I'm a brand loyalist as a person. I just, I just like brands. Um, but, but for all of that, I'm, I'm the tenuous, and I'm the, I'm the one they're going to say, ah, real keep Phillips. Where's he going to go? He's not going. He hasn't left in twenty years. He's not going to go anywhere. And I've got a very specific reason I'm staying. But you can cut costs, and people go nowhere. You cut costs, people go nowhere. You cut costs, people go nowhere. Until you look around and go, bloody hell, where'd all the people go? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, that's my, that's my point. Actually, I would have rather tell us to make less money for the last fifteen years and build the love so that moving forward, they're still acquiring customers. And people are saying, yeah, look, I know Telstra's big, I know they're old, I know they're stayed, but gee, the customer services, like I rave about their social media stuff, right? Mm. Imagine if I was on this podcast raving about their, their online chat and how my problem got solved straight away and I had a modem in the mail and it was their first thing Monday and Telstra's wonderful, you sure use Telstra. Now, not not me ranting because I've got a podcast or because we talk to a whole lot of people on the other end of this uh, podcast machine, but just that general idea of, you know, you cut costs until, you know, all of a sudden you go, Oops. Yeah. We, we we kind of we cut our way to greatness. We try to cut our way to greatness, right? It's very, very hard to do. And I get why they do it. I get why it's seductive. I just think when Aussie Broadband are, you know, they Aussie Broadband great, you know, really is like twenty percent plus a year. And yes, from a low base, but they're taking share off the big guys. How are they doing it? For exactly the reason we just talked about. And maybe Telstra is right. Maybe as you say, maybe it is the smartest thing to do to say, we'll just keep the people who don't bother leaving and we'll we'll charge them through the nose, give them no service and hope they don't go anywhere. Mm. That's a really tough strategy to pull off right because if you're wrong you can't come back from yeah. that it's also this is the the advantage for the challenger brands and stuff as well so i yep. think the with the aussie broadband and that what what they don't have which is a good thing is they don't have legacy systems so <laughs> yes, if you speak to true. anyone in the know behind and this is the same for yeah. the big banks for a lot of these big old companies i mean they they started having yep. these big old-fashioned servers in the basement and then someone mm-hmm. had better technology and so they sticky taped that together and then something else. Yeah, and then they added yeah. a new division which needed a new ERM system or CRM system, whatever it was. And then they 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 stucky taped that. And so now you have these woefully <laughs> ancient yeah, systems yeah, that are all yeah. broken, not talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And then, you, then you've got someone who goes, hey, let's just come in and build a purpose-built system from the ground up right now. Totally. And we can do totally. things so much better because what, what Telstra is faced with is mm-hmm. actually throwing mil- hundreds of millions of dollars of investment in the bin yep. and then spending hundreds of millions more to rebuild the entire thing. And that's, yep. that's also uh, a, 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 a very hard thing to sort of pull off. It, it, I agree it's totally. probably the right thing to do because it, it shows genuine long-term thinking and it's yep. going to cost a lot of money now, but it's potentially going to save a lot of money in the future and help you generate a lot more revenue in the future. But that's the conundrum that these CEOs are facing because it isn't, I'm sure that they would love to do it. It's just, it's a very hard sell for the board and shareholders to say, hey, we're going to, we're going to probably, you know, imagine saying, imagine if Andy said, Andy Penn said, actually, we're just not going to pay dividends for the next two years, but in five years' time, we're going to have a, the business is going to be so much better, much more efficient, much more, or, or much more customer focused and the rest of it. The, the share price would be absolutely ruined and he would be fired. Even though, yeah, even right. though it's the right thing to do. Yep. Yep. So, absolutely. So I, I, I think it's, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely a, a consideration with these. Did you see the listing recently, this week or last week of Judo Bank? I did. It was the first new bank to list on the ASX in 30 years, which shows you the very cosy oligopoly that's sort of, uh, that's sort of <laughs> out there in, in banking land. But one of their, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I had a, it was on Ausbiz the other day, so I, I had a quick skim mm-hmm. of the prospectus. 
But one of the things that they're touting, and I think rightly so, is that they they actually say we don't have we don't have any of these legacy systems. We've purpose built this yeah. up, and yeah. we're purely focused yeah. on SMEs, small and medium enterprises. And it mm-hmm. just struck. I mean, I, I I'm not going to be buying shares in it. It's only just listed. I don't know enough about it. But it does. I I actually do see that as a genuine advantage, and it just helps highlight the point that, right. we're, that we're making yep. here. Yep. Um, and it's, I, I don't think that a lot of these big businesses are that silly not to see these things coming. They're just, there's, there's just mm. trapped between a rock and a hard place, um, which is another reason for yeah. me to avoid a lot of them <laughs> for, for partly that reason and others. Yeah. I've said, I've said before, I think maybe last week, maybe the week before, that that's the thing about disruption, right? It's really, really, really hard to get escape velocity. Yeah. But once you do... You are miles ahead of the competitors for exactly those reasons, about The culture, the systems, the people, the the, the, the marketing, the, the business focus, all that stuff is you get to start from scratch. It's really, really stupidly hard for exactly that reason. Yep. Um, we've got a podcast episode coming up on the good oil actually uh, next week uh, from a, a small business who's trying to take on behemoths that are the biggest one is 50% of the market. Wow. And so trying to compete against that is really, really hard. Yep. But if you get there... If you can get some momentum, all of a sudden you can do things they can't do. It's cheaper, easier, better, more profitably, more you know, with more customer satisfaction. A la Aussie Broadband. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, things change really fast. So um, look out for that. Hey, mate, so we're running out of time. We've had a great conversation. We've not covered as much as I'd like to. Let's talk about Rivian. Mm. Have you heard of Rivian? It's the so if you're going to make an electric car company and you had no meaningful revenues, what do you reckon it's worth? Well, I, I wouldn't have never guessed this, but but you gave me a heads up, and so I had a quick, <laughs> I quick look. It's, it's 100 billion US dollars. It's about 140 billion Aussie for a business which is going to make some cars and probably sell them. Yeah, they don't make <laughs> they don't make any revenue. I don't believe at this stage. They don't. No, nothing meaningful anyway. I, I say not mean, no meaningful revenue. So they probably they probably sold 13 cars just just as proof of concept or mm-hmm. something. 100 billion dollars. Now they have one advantage. One of their major shareholders and major customers is a little business, a little little uh, little shop front called Amazon.com. Mm. That helps yep. because they are both the backer and one of the major customers. So they have got a, a, a growth runway or a, maybe not even that, a revenue runway if nothing else. Um, it's a, it, it's it's just, so it's an electronic vehicle company. Let's, let's put that out there too, right? So it, uh, is it a Tesla rival? Every Tesla fan right now is yelling at the thing, no, it's not, stop talking about it. Um, but will it? You know, it, will the EV potential buyer include this now in its its list of potential alternatives, including, by the way, Porsche and mm. Toyota and Nissan and Volvo and Volkswagen? And yeah, I think they will. And is it worth hundred billion dollars? I don't know that necessarily. <laughs> that might be a reasonably aggressive uh, number. Then again, I thought Tesla was uh, was expensive, and I've been very wrong so far. Although we should have talked about Tesla's uh, share sale. We might do that on on Sunday. Actually, it's supposed to be a mailbag episode, but we completely I completely forgot to put the Elon uh, Twitter poll. On, uh, it's fascinating. On, on the agenda, we should we should talk mm. about that. Um, speaking of Dubba, speaking, speaking of Pushpay, you're sitting on your Twitter lost in Pushpay shows going, but that thing over there is 140 billion dollars. It doesn't even sell anything. <laughs> uh, what do you reckon, mate? Is it worth 140 billion? Uh, I, I'm I'm not going to be quick to dismiss it um, because I don't yeah. I don't know enough about it. Um, you've got a lot of money backing this thing. And yeah. and it's gonna bleed money for a long time. But I mean, this is kind. Of, I don't want to draw the comparison with Tesla, but it's the natural one. I mean, look, look what Elon <laughs> but, was doing. I mean, it was one of the most shorted yeah. stocks from some of the smartest mm. people in the world who've been absolutely smoked on this. Mm. And this is another good example of making long term decisions. You know, they. they I think that's what Elon has done with mm. with Tesla. He's, he's basically bled cash. Um, lost all of this kind of money for years and years and years 
because he was he was thinking beyond next quarter, next half, next year. <laughs> yeah. And has now yeah. put him in an incredibly strong position. So in, in, in regard to Rivian, I wouldn't write them off automatically. They may be a genuine um, contender to to mm-hmm. Tesla. Or just they just maybe you just say, oh look, they all they can ever hope for is five percent of the EV market. But that's yeah. a big market, and that's that's and it's a very fast growing market. Maybe that actually yeah. justifies it. So, and it's potentially the world car market, right? Like it's, yeah. in one version of the future, there is nothing other than EVs in ten years' time. Yeah. So you know, five percent of the EV market is one thing. Five percent of the total global car market. Uh, that's a that's a pretty good. Business. Oh, it's going that way for sure. And we can argue about how quick and how soon and the rest of it. But I mean, there's co- yeah. some countries are just mandating it. You just can't buy anything other yeah. than an EV. And I think it's I think it's absolutely yeah. going that way. And that's that's part of the hype that's sort of around this. So it's it's definitely high risk. Um, uh, yeah. it, it definitely makes you sort of squint when you look at it. But it's it's not. <laughs> th- 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 you're making a bet on on the 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 founders really and the, the people operating that yeah. they that they can pull this off and they're certainly going to have a fighting chance given given the the, the wall of cheap capital that's going that's just just you know gushed into the coffers that they can now spend and potentially get a good return on, on investment on if you gave me a hundred billion dollars us that's probably a silly bet because i don't know what i'm going to do with that and it, but if you give it to someone who's incredibly smart um, they could probably take that hundred billion dollars and then over the course of the next twenty years return you ten times that. And that's that's what you need to figure out. Mm. It's um, it's it's challenging because a bit like all new businesses, adding up some of these market caps gets really difficult really quickly. I don't know, but I don't imagine that Rivian is much. Uh, I don't think it's probably bigger than say Toyota market cap wise but it's probably not that much smaller at one point I think it was worth more than certainly GM and Ford so and and I guess that's the challenge right is if the EV market becomes the car market to imagine that the car market suddenly becomes this this category this industry where you can justify market values for its participants of multiples of the current market it implies profitability that's multiples of the current profitability and that's a bit where I start to get a little bit nervous about adding all these numbers together. Is it really possible that five, seven, ten EV makers, including some of the incumbents, are worth a lot more than the current car industry at that point in time when it becomes commoditized? I don't know. You've, I think I've said this before. I'm sure I've said this before. One of my favourite uh, Andrew Pageisms is, in the end, everything's a toaster. <laughs> and, Not mine, uh, but and, I stole, yeah. No, I know. But oh, well, it, it, when, I, when I hear it, it's, it's, it's your voice. So uh, <laughs> you, you, you're, you're very fond of it. And I'm kind of, you know, that that's the bit I'm like, well, could I imagine one car company some, somehow having been bigger and better and whatever than the rest and, and being worth more? Yeah, kind of maybe. But I don't know. If, uh, in X number of years, does the total car market market cap, should it be more than the current total car market market cap or the one that was there 10 years ago before Tesla turned up? A lot's got to go right. You've, got to, you've got to demand a whole lot more margin, which implies either your costs are heaps cheaper or your prices are heaps more. Mm. I don't know. Is it doesn't it, something doesn't compute there? Maybe I'm just not getting. Well, it, it's, yeah, it's no, no. I, I think that's a fair comment. But the again, I'm just going to argue this for the sake of uh, arguing. Do yeah, please. It, it may be that what's not being correctly priced are the incumbents. And it's right. interesting what we were talking about just before with Telstra and the like. And you think about the mm-hmm. huge amount of money they've got invested in in ICE internal combustion engine <laughs> yeah. cars, yeah. right? So for them now to go into electric. 
they have they've got i mean they're completely different plants they're deep, completely yeah. different parts completely different supply chains completely different manufacturing processes mm. they've got mm. to develop the technology and this is more than just the electric engine this is the smartphone on wheels kind of thing it's all the self-driving mm. stuff and all of it. it it may be that the, these companies in in making this transition to yeah it's a car it's a it's a different type of car but it's actually a phenomenally different business and it might yeah. be that 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 when the dust sort of settles, yeah, you're right. The, the the overall market cap of adding all these companies together will shrink, but it's not because Rivian and Tesla shrink. It's because these other ones go away. Um, and, and historically, they've been pretty ordinary companies anyway, in the main uh, as well. They just they just they just they just can't make the transition quickly, effectively enough, and then end up with enough market share. It is it is a market disruption, and in market tr- disruptions and major structural changes, whether it's going from spreadsheets to zero, or from you know. Uh, X-ray films to um, fully rendered uh, cloud-based uh, medical images. Mm, you know when, mm. when those they are where fortunes are made, and you know it, uh, once once something comes along, then, then there's a long process of optimization, commercialization, all that kind of stuff. But when an mm, industry mm. just fundamentally takes a sharp left, um, usually the incumbents don't make that transition too well, and and yeah. and and the people that that end up winning that that's where you look at all of the great. Return the, um, all the great business success stories of the last 10, mm. 20 years. That, that, that's the story. That was Amazon, right? Uh, yep. Yep. That was after well, Carmax in the first place, right? They moved from they moved from horse and buggy to cars. Yeah. None, none of the, none of the buggy makers end up end up putting engines in those things. They always went by the wayside, yep. and Mercedes Benz and Ford and everyone else kind of just came from from nowhere. So we are we are the you know we are the EVs of the age. I've, I've got to oh, tell you, age, actually, just speaking, I'm just thinking. I, I, like more than half of the companies I hold, a, a, a big part of the thesis is that there's an industry structural shift, yeah. where it's just yeah. like we all did it this way, and now we're all going to do it that way. And the people who are going to do it the new way, the better way, uh, are the small, tiny, speculative rah rah rah, not the big blue chip, established, mm-hmm. profitable dividend. You know, but but that's my bet in a lot of these cases is as the world moves on, they're the, they're going to be the new kind of winners. And it's actually playing out pretty. I should nicely. finish here. I should finish here. But I'm not going to. Because I have one more question for you. Um, on that basis, do is the future of your portfolio? I will sell at some point when they become the Fords and Toyotas of the age. Or is the thesis that I will hold them because if I bought Toyota early enough, I can afford to hold it through underperformance and in 40 years' time, I've still made an absolute fortune? Because one version of the world says if that's true and they become the, the, the incumbents, yeah. there is a point at which you say you, you, you should have said that in 1950-something, I will buy a Toyota because it is going to be the disruptor of its industry. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, you know, which, which, is, which is what it was, right? People went to Toyota to learn. Japanese management techniques, right? That it was, it was, you know, it, it probably was never cool like, like Tesla in a, in a very social media kind of way, but it was the company that was really sticking it to GM and Ford before Tesla was sticking it to GM and Ford, right? Mm. And and they were they were the disruptor. Yeah. And now and now they are a business that is struggling-ish. Mm. Um, you know, does, does your portfolio get the point where you're like you, you buy it for the disruption? Process, then it goes away. Do you think there is a do, do they do they remain the best, or is they, are those ways of disruption almost saying to you when the disruption's over? No, yeah, I, when absolutely. They, when those guys mature, I'm out. Absolutely, not that I'm not out, but I mean, I just it, it's about where do they end up? What does it look like then, and what's it worth at that point? Mm-hmm. And again, I come to, mm-hmm. back to the original point we started talking about at the top of the hour, which is 
at, at a point, it, it will either be that it's no longer good value or there's just better opportunity elsewhere. And I absolutely sell it. I've done this disappointingly, I've got to say, with things like Prometicus, where I sold a very significant chunk of my holdings, not because I don't think that the, the business is worse than it was. The business is stronger than it's ever been, but it just kind of got a little bit silly. Same thing happened with Pointera. So it's kind of like you make this, you sort of, you, you, you have this thesis, you see this opportunity, you think that they'll benefit from it. Um, it takes a long time to sort of play out. And then all of a sudden it plays out rapidly because the market just gets carried away and the pendulum swings too far the other way. So I think, I think you will always, always need to look at things afresh and not anchor on your initial reasons because your initial reasons as you're, as you're getting the point that you're getting at will no longer become relevant. When, when Tesla owns 30% of the EV market and mm. the EV market mm. is the only sort of car market there, <laughs> it's a totally different proposition. It doesn't, yeah. no way yeah. it should be on whatever it is, 100 times sales. I mean, it's, that's insane because yeah. they just don't have the growth there. Um, mm. So yeah, mm. you, 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 your thesis must always evolve and adjust to, to the reality of things. And when it's played out, as much as it's going to play out, um, and there's better opportunity elsewhere. Absolutely, you sell. Absolutely, you sell. Now, for some for some situations, maybe maybe it just continues to remain super attractive. I mean, Berkshire Hathaway is like one of the biggest companies in the world. It certainly doesn't have the growth that it used to have, but but it's still. I think many people and yourself included would argue that it's it's still worth holding. It's probably a very different thesis than it was 20 years ago, or maybe not in that case. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean. Like you you yeah. do. Yeah. Oh no, it is. It absolutely you, is. You've got to. You've got to. Yeah. You've got to remain flexible, and you've got. And so you, your point is a valid one, but there's a long way to go before we even get close to that happening. And as long as the market's not recognising it, therein lies the opportunity. And that is where we'll leave it, mate. We've gone longer than we should have, but I wanted to tease that out because there's some really, really good insights there. And thank you for sharing with us, uh, Phil. If you want more great insights from Andrew, follow him on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. If you want to follow me on the socials on Twitter and Insta, you can get me at TMF Scott P. And at Facebook, you can get me at uh, facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money. Follow The Motley Fool on Twitter and Insta at The Motley Fool AU or on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia. Or just whack those in the search bars. I'm pretty sure they'll come up that way. Mate, thank you for being with me. Will you come back on Sunday? You know it. Wouldn't miss it. I was, um, I, I had had a Bitcoin question to ask you. I, I, I didn't have time. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, I was, yeah just. <laughs> Just, just. Unfortunately, the bad news is so do our listeners. So I will have to. I'll be forced to ask you about Bitcoin on Sunday. So there you go. If you want to see Andrew talk about Bitcoin, I don't know why you would, but if you would, if you do, for whatever strange reason, and we'll talk about some other real proper stuff, like actually, you know, not not like made up in digital <laughs> pretend things. Then join us on Sunday for our very special mailbag edition. Until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.